fully hitting on all cylinders, so to speak. And I, I, I want you today, after today's message, to fully know what we have in Jesus Christ. To know what it is to have a victorious life. To know what it means to, to walk in victory with Christ. I want you to understand that salvation is not just, as some people treat it, fire insurance. I, I've mentioned before that there's some people that believe this whole idea of Christianity is about, okay, if I receive Jesus, then I won't burn in hell. And that's, that's as far as they go in that Christian walk. They stop right there. It's the whole idea that I've got fire insurance, that, I, that I'm not going to burn, I'm going to be in heaven, and that's pretty good. And then they just stop. But there's so much more to this Christian life than the idea of fire insurance. There's so much more to walking with Christ than just having this idea that, okay, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and it's paradise. And, and because of Jesus, I don't have to go to hell. If that's, if that's your total concept, if that's your theology, if that's as far as you take this Christianity thing, I need you to know you're missing out on 90% of the Christian life. 90%. You're missing out on what God has for you. You're missing out on what God wants you to do. And so I hope after today's message, and I hope after the scriptures that we read, you'll fully grasp this whole idea of, wait, there's more. The reason why the church in America is in the shape that it's in is because of the idea that most Christians treat Jesus and treat a relationship with him like fire insurance. We aren't seeing growth in the church in America. In fact, like I mentioned earlier, it's stagnant. Many churches in America today are declining. Churches in our area uh, are losing members, swapping members. Uh, one church will grow because of another church's decline. Another church will increase. It, it's really sad, though, because we're not seeing new believers in many churches today. I've mentioned this statistic before, but in the Southern Baptist Convention alone, one-third of the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention report a big goose egg for their baptisms in a full calendar year. A goose egg. Zero people stirred any water in any baptistry and got saved, and that's one-third of the Southern Baptist churches. So that we're in that position as a church. We're in that position in America, and that's not what God has for us. That's not what God desires. That's not what God wants for us. And so today, I, although I don't agree with a lot of what Emmanuel Kant said, he's a philosopher, this is one thing that he said. The key to happiness is someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. Someone to love, something to do, and something to hope for. You're actually going to see that from the biblical perspective and from the Christian way of life as we get in this message. So if you've got your Bibles there, open to Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. In just a moment, I'm going to have you stand as we read from that. The whole idea that you've got to have someone to love, something to do, and someone to hope for, or something to hope for. I want you to think about this. This morning, before we even get started, I want you to think about God's love. We love because God first loved us, the scripture says. In fact, it describes his love in this way. For God so loved the world, so loved, not just that he loved, but he so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Think about God's love. In fact, Scripture says God is love. So now that you've got that there, when you fully grasp that, when you fully appreciate it, then the reciprocal of that would be that you love him. You love him because he loves you, and he loves you unconditionally. He knows about your faults. He knows about all your struggles. He knows about all your warts, and he still loves you. And he loves you with a no-strings-attached kind of love. So there's your someone to love. You ought to love the one who loves you when you were wretched. You ought to love the one who loves you and accepted you before you got all this figured out, before you cleaned up your act, when you were nasty. He loved you. And he loved you so much that he sent his only son. Now that's love. So there's your someone to love. Here's what I want you to think about today. If you are saved today, if you walked in these doors and you know where you're going to spend eternity and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you know that you know that you know, if that's you today and you know that you're saved, then you ought to know that not only do you get forgiveness for your sins, past, present, and future, not only do you get uh, all of your sins wiped away, not only your sins, the, the stain of your sins, but you also get the consequences of sin, which the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Well, guess what? That debt is canceled, paid in full. And it took, didn't take Joe Biden and Congress to agree on a budget to do that. Your sin was paid in full. Your sin was paid in full by what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary. So if you're saved, if you walked in these doors and you're already saved, then know this, you're forgiven. Past, present, future sins. And yes, you get to go to heaven when you die. But watch this. As a part of that, you get victory in the here and now over sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, would you please stand? Romans 6 and verse 14. This is what it says in God's word. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. I'm going to read it again. For sin will not rule over you. Somebody right there ought to say hallelujah. For sin will not rule over you because why? Because you are not under law, but under grace. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I ask God through the power of your Holy Spirit, by the power of the reading of your word, that you would move in hearts today to make us as Christians realize what it is that we receive when we are saved. What it is that we ought to do. What it is that we ought to think about and what we ought to hope for. Because there's a lot of Christians out there that are not living the victorious life. There are a lot of Christians out there that aren't hitting on all cylinders. And it could be, it could be, that they think of Christianity as fire insurance. And so today, God, reveal that to us, convict us where it is needed, encourage us where it is needed. God, we thank you for that love that you give to us, that unconditional love, that no-strings-attached kind of love. That's hard for anybody in here to comprehend. 
God, thank you for loving us despite all our struggles and despite all of our problems. But thank you that you not only forgive us of our past, present, and future sins, you not only forgive us of those things that we've done that were, that were uh, against you, but God, you give us victory today. You give us victory today. Help us to see that in Scripture. And God, we'll be careful to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You are no longer, according to that passage from Romans chapter 6, you are no longer under the control, under the sway, under the influence, under the dominion. You are no longer under the rule and reign of the enemy. You are not under his spell. You are not under his guidance, his direction, his leadership. Do you understand that when Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus suffered and bled, he not only gave you forgiveness of sins, but because of what he did, listen to what I'm about to tell you, he broke the curse. Because of what Jesus did, he wants you to live in the victorious Christian life here and now. Heaven is where we will go when we die, but if that's all that Christianity was about, if just going to heaven was the ultimate, then listen to me. When you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, he snatched you up right then. He'd take you to heaven right then if that was the whole purpose, if that was the whole design of what God wanted. He would bring you home right then to heaven. But by virtue of the fact that you're still here, most of you look like you're still here, because by virtue of you still being here, that means that there's something more to salvation than just going to heaven when you die. There's victory in the here and now. But we're not living like it. We're not looking like it. And that's how we are in the shape that we are in. So listen, you're no longer under the persuasion. You're not under the rule, the reign, the control of the enemy. You're not under his dominion. Jesus set you free from that. Just as the, the Jews were delivered out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, do you understand that you are delivered out of that bondage? You are delivered out of that slavery to sin. And let me just tell you this. The Jews murmured, even though they were delivered out of Egypt, they murmured during that 40-year period that they were in the wilderness. Those 40 years that they wandered in the desert, they murmured. And one of their biggest complaints is, we ought to go back to Egypt. And if you look in the Old Testament, one of the things that has always thrown me is it says they missed a cucumber in Egypt. Now listen, you may be weird, you may like cucumbers too, but that'd be the last thing on my list that I miss from a place that I used to be a slave at. A cucumber? Are you kidding me? But see, they murmured. They said, oh, at least in Egypt we had stuff to eat. At least in Egypt. But you were a slave in Egypt. Well, but at least in Egypt, we had a place to camp. camp and you were a slave. You were a servant of the, of the Pharaoh. Yeah, but at least we weren't wandering. In, and that, you know what? We laugh at that, and we say how foolish that is. But that's you. That's me. Here, let me make a connection. You ready? You've been set free from sin. You're no longer under the control, the persuasion, the power, the reign of the enemy. And you go back to the things you used to do. You miss the things you used to 
crave and the desires that you used to have. And you want to go back to bondage. You want to go back to Egypt. You want to go back. Why? When the promised land is what God designed for you. Why? When the promised land is what God has planned for you. Would you want to go back to being slaves? See, we don't understand that we have victory in the here and now. We don't understand that God desires, yes, that we'll go to heaven when we die, but that we live a life today in the here and now that glorifies Jesus. That shows that we're different. That shows that we have victory. That shows that we, we have that abundant life that, John, uh, that uh, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundant. You've been set free. You were a slave, but now you are not a slave to sin. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. Flip over in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because maybe you haven't ever made this connection. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You have victory in the here and now. Quit saying that I'll never overcome this. I'll never get over this bondage. I'll never break this stronghold. I'll never get out of this depression. I'll never get out of this darkness. I'll never, uh, I'll never quit smoking. I'll never get out of this, this addiction, whatever it may be, that bondage. Never say that again. Because here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 is what you're going to start claiming. When the, when the enemy whispers to you and makes you doubt, and makes you think you'll never, 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 never measure up. You'll never be good enough. You'll never get over this. You need to look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God is faithful. Who's faithful? God. God is faithful. And ladies and gentlemen, even when you're not, God is. You understand that? God is faithful, and he will not allow you, watch this, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Some of you need to read that three or four times. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. He will provide a way out. When was the last time you, you flew and you watched those flight attendants do their little demonstration and they point towards They point towards the little sign, the little escape to exit. Look, look at those signs right there. Let this image be burned in your mind. See where it says exit and it points you out? The next time you are about to be overtaken, the next time a temptation is all over you, the next time somebody just rubs you like sandpaper and you're about to say something real ugly and you're going to speak in tongues but not in the biblical way, you remember that exit sign. There's a way out. There's a way of escape that God has provided for you that he's saying, here's the exit. Take the exit. Take the way out, the way of escape. You know why he provides that way of escape? Watch this. You know why he provides that way of escape? So that you don't beat yourself up for delving into the sin. So that you don't feel that guilt and that burden when you keep giving in. So that you don't sit there and, and oh, woe is me and pity yourself. He provides the way of escape so that you will take the escape and then say, well, praise Jesus. So that you will take the way out and say, thank you, Lord. There's a way of escape that he provides. Look at it again. There's no temptation 
that is overtaking you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. God wants you to have victory. He doesn't want you to beat yourself up every day. Why do I keep doing this? Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this idea when he said, why do I do the things I know I shouldn't do, and why don't I do the things I know I should? If the Apostle Paul struggled with that, then if you're struggling with it, you're in good company. You're in great company. The Apostle Paul struggled with this, and, and God wanted the Apostle Paul, and, and God wants you to tap into what he makes available to, to realize that you're not under the dominion of the, of the enemy. You don't have to be under his persuasion. You don't have to be under that control. He wants you to be set free. So listen to me. Step out of the matrix. Step out of the matrix of sin and death and walk in victory. Some of you remember that old, uh, that old movie Matrix. And they're doing a new one of that. The whole idea was that, you know, life is just this matrix, and, and the character, uh, Keanu Reeves, uh, he, he's in this bubble, and yet life is, is all about manipulation, and it's control, and there's things going on, but, but Keanu's in a bubble. He don't even have that, that nice California hairdo. He's ball-headed in a bubble, a glass bubble. You and I are being manipulated and used, and you need to step out of that, and you need to tell to tell yourself that you are a victor, not a victim. This whole victim mentality in society makes me sick. Because that's not what God wants you to be. Have bad things, have bad things happened to you? Yes. Will bad things still happen to you? Yes. But those, even the bad things that you've experienced and the hurts that you've been through, it's for a purpose, and it will guide you, and it will train you, and mold you, and shape you like that clay in the potter's hand. It'll make you into who God has designed you to be in the first place. Step out of the matrix of sin and walk in victory. Flip over to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. In verse 15, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, I want you to get this. I really, I want you to embrace this. I want you to understand it. Colossians 2, 15, he, he being God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. Whew. Disgraced them publicly. That's like LSU being beat by Kentucky in public. In public. That's like what happened to Alabama yesterday. In public. In public. Do you understand that? That one team walks off victorious and another team walks off defeated. Listen and embrace that. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by over them by him. God triumphed over the enemy by Jesus. Victorious. So why would you be down? Why would you act defeated? Why would you be depressed? Why would you be discouraged? 
when God has done all this for you and wants you to see who he sees when he looks at you, not what you see when you look at you, not even what the world sees when they look at you. The world does not define you. Your successes and failures do not define you. Your identity is not in your career. Your identity is not in a relationship. Your identity is in Christ. Embrace that and realize what God has for you. But wait, there's more. Not only have I given you someone to love, that's Jesus. Now I want to I want to transition to giving you something to do. Something to do. You see, he has a purpose for our lives. He not only has a purpose for every hurt that you've experienced and every pain and every bad thing that you've gone through. He has a purpose for that. But watch this. He also has a purpose for your life. Flip over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. This is the last words of Jesus Christ recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. They tell us that a person's last words are very important. You know, it can be, I love you. It can be, I see heaven. It can be a number of things. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. Those kind of things. A person's last words oftentimes are representative of their character and who they are. But it tells you in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. That's an active tense. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, remember, he's about to ascend into heaven. He's already died. He's already been buried. He's already been resurrected. And his last words are right before he ascends back into heaven from the Mount of Olives. And this is what he says. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So not only do you have someone to love, but you have something to do. Well, what do we do, Ken? What do we do? Here, here's your job. Here's your mission. Here's your objective. Go make disciples. And here's what I need you to understand. It's not the, just the preacher's job. It's not just the Sunday school teacher's job. It's not just the youth pastor's job. It's not just the church staff's job. It is all of our jobs, those who call ourselves Christians, to go and make other disciples. Notice it doesn't say church members. Make a disciple. So how do I make a disciple? This is very interesting. <clears throat> in, the, in the original Greek, it's the idea that as you are living, as you are working, as you are fishing, because many of the disciples were fishermen, as you are doing this thing that we call life, talk about me. Share what I have done for you to those you come in contact with. And it doesn't have to be the Roman road of salvation. It doesn't have to be the F-A-I-T-H faith presentation. It doesn't have to be some long, memorized, uh, canned speech. It can just be, I got saved when I was 12. I got saved when I was 20. This is what Jesus has done for me. This is where I go to church. This is what I'm seeing God do in my life. That's your testimony. I can't, I can't tell you what your testimony is. That's in you. That's in your heart. So let me ask you this. As you go to school, make disciples. 
Are you doing that? As you go to work, make disciples. Are you doing that? Are you talking around the water cooler in the break room about Jesus and what Jesus has done? You talk about your weekend. You talk about what you've done. You talk about the fish you've caught. You talk about the, the deer you've killed. You talk about the, the team and, and, and the game that your team won. You talk about those things. Why do you talk about those things? Because you like those things. Well, do you like Jesus? We talk, <coughs> we talk about things that we like. <coughs> and so if you say you like Jesus, how much are you talking about? We find it so easy to break the ice with people at the grocery store, people at the gas pump. We'll have conversations about the weather. We'll have conversations about gas prices. We'll have conversations about the, the shipping deliveries and Amazon canceling orders. And we'll have conversations about all kinds of things with complete strangers. But you won't talk about the one who's made the biggest change in your life. Because you say that's not in your personality. There's a Greek word for that. Baloney. <laughs> Some of you that say you're you're introverted. I've watched you during an LSU game. I've watched you when the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl. It's on the history channel now. <laughs> I've watched y'all talk about your new boat. I've watched y'all talk about all kinds of things, and I see the excitement. But you say you're introverted. Hmm. Find a way to bring Jesus into conversations. Find a way to brag on Jesus. You brag on your kids. You brag on your grandkids. Find a way to bring him into these conversations because that's our something to do. You have someone to love. I've given you your something to do. Go make disciples. And here's your something to hope for. Your something to hope for is heaven. The end goal. The end result. So I want you to look in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Philippians Chapter 3 and verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. Do you understand that? This world ain't your home. Somebody said that's bad English. It may be bad grammar, but it's great theology. This world is not your home. That's why you feel like a foreigner. <laughs> That's why you feel like an alien. I, you, you sometimes feel so out of place, and you should. In fact, those that, of you that are comfortable here, those of you that think this is a pretty cool place to live, and you like this world, and you like everybody in this world, okay then, uh, you may not have the same passport I have. Because our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly waiting? Do you expect him to, to call you home one day? Do you expect him to sound the trumpet from heaven and you be called up one day, maybe? Do you have this eager expectation, this, this passion, and, and do, you, do you look forward to heaven? 
don't look forward to heaven. Now, I know that saying all the men are awful from feathers, but they have a misconception of heaven. They think heaven is sitting on some fluffy cloud playing a harp, eating Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> Let me tell you, that ain't heaven. Heaven, you are going to see colors you've never seen on this side. You're going to hear sounds you've never heard on this side. You're going to see things so vivid and so high definition and so mind-blowing. The experiences, the sights, the sounds will be like nothing you've ever seen here. There's little glimpses occasionally when maybe you were a little child waking up on Christmas morning and running down those stairs. Maybe that little, that little joy that you used to get wondering what you got for Christmas Maybe that's just a hint. Maybe that's just a small uh, sample of what the entirety and the, ma the majesty and glory of heaven will be like. I think in life, on this side of, uh, of uh, heaven, you get little glimpses of glory. And those are supposed to cause you to have a deeper yearning and a deeper longing. To eagerly wait, as that scripture said in Philippians chapter 3. There's things that happen to you that you get that exhilaration and you get that thrill. And, and you get you get that that feeling of bliss, and those are little previews of what you will experience all the time in the presence of God. It's not sitting on a cloud playing a harp <laughs> with Philadelphia cream cheese, nor fish That's not heaven. Heaven is God's presence, worship like never experienced before, a spiritual experience that cannot be described or belittled with words. Uh, an absolute being embraced by the holiness of God, even though you are not worthy at all. To know that you are in God's presence and in God's dwelling, that you are there in His presence, that's heaven. We get to leave this world with all its sin, sorrow, sickness, shame. We get to leave all that behind and receive heaven. And that's something to hope for. That's something that you and I should look forward to. Go to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. Chapter 21. The second to last chapter of the entire Bible. Revelation chapter 21 in verse 4. He, he, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. Turn to your neighbor and say, hallelujah. Think about that. He will wipe away the tears. Can you imagine that? Picture what that will, what that will feel like. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death won't exist. Grief, crying, pain will no longer exist because the previous things have passed away. You will be in God's presence. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more night. Have you thought about that? No more sickness. No more sorrow. No more cranky people. No more stress. Can you just imagine for a moment? You see, you're supposed to be pictured. You're supposed to be imagined because you have someone to love. You have something to do. And now you have something to hope for. Something to hope for. But wait, there's more. Let me share one more passage with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. 
Because, you know, as a preacher, we try and use words and we try and use stories and illustrations to maybe show you something or teach you something. But I'm reminded as I was preparing for this message, the whole idea of wait, there's more. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, this is what it says. But as it is written, eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And what never has entered the human mind, God has prepared for those who love him. Eye has not seen nor ear heard. And the mind can't even comprehend. So as a preacher, as I was preparing for this, I said, you know, how do I even begin to touch the surface of what heaven is like and what we have to hope for and what we have to eagerly wait for? And he drew me right to this scripture. And I hadn't seen it, and the ear hadn't heard it, and the mind can't even comprehend it. So just leave them with this. But wait, there's more. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father.